Hey tennis fans, welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on a Thursday, October 17th, as the tennis season marches along to its conclusion. The Asian swing in the books into the European hardcourt section of the tennis season. A few weeks now until the WTA Finals in Shenzhen and, of course, just around the corner, the Nitto ATP Finals in London. It's going to be a fantastic conclusion to what has been an already fantastic season. We have Tennis Now's executive editor, Richard Pagliaro, coming on board to chat about some of the happenings in the last few weeks post-U.S. Open. The rise of Daniil Medvedev, which continues at full throttle. Also talk a little bit about who might be the WTA's Player of the Year. Recently ran a poll for that exact question and found out that a lot of people might believe it's a certain Canadian at this point in the season. And we also wonder, can things change at all, depending upon what happens in Shenzhen in the next couple of weeks? Just about 10 days till the WTA Finals begin in China for the first time. That's going to be an amazing week. A lot of great stuff happening in tennis right now. Andy Murray has just picked up back-to-back wins at Antwerp. This should be his last tour event of the season. He will probably play Davis Cup. Uh, That's so nice to see Murray back on court, having success and looking more and more comfortable each week on the circuit. So I think we can expect some big things from Andy Murray. We're also talking about the return the impending return of Juan Martin Del Potro, who's now had five surgeries, but seems to be back and getting fit again. Going to make another go at it in 2020. I mean, there's a lot of stories happening. We're talking about Coco Goff as well, the 15-year-old who became the ninth youngest player to ever win a WTA singles title last week at Linz. Talk about the implications of her success and a little bit about the age eligibility and the issues surrounding that, and what we can look forward to in the next six months, and of course the next few years from the youngster from the United States. So tons to talk to. Before we get to our interview with Richard Pagliaro, I want to remind you guys, you can find us on social media, facebook.com slash tennis now, Twitter at tennis underscore now. You can hit us on Instagram, and of course the podcast page, which you can find on iTunes just by searching Lucky Let Court Podcast in your iTunes app. That'll take you, your, your what is it called? Your Apple Podcast app. That'll take you to our podcast. You can also find our homepage at podomatic.com slash tennis now. We'd love it if you join. We'd love it if you listen, like, and subscribe. It means a lot to us. And uh, we're looking forward to finishing the year strong here at the podcast after a few weeks off. So nice to be back. Nice to chat with you all. Hope you're enjoying the tennis. Hope you're enjoying the autumn months. And here's that interview with Richard Pagliaro. See you on the other side. We have Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's executive editor on board to break down some of the exciting happenings in tennis post-U.S. Open, primarily the Asian swing. Hey, Richard, what's new? Hey, Chris. Good to speak to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to speak with you as well. It's been a little while. Well, I want to get started with a big story that has kind of faded over the last few days because there's so much going on, even with these 250 events on the ATP and the smaller events in the WTA. But Daniel Medvedev. Wins in Shanghai, 59 wins on the season, leads the ATP, leads the ATP in hardcourt wins. I mean, six consecutive finals. He's one of just five active players to have done that in the on the ATP side in his career. I mean, he's just racking up the mega stats right now. 
I just wanted to get your take on his latest performance, and maybe we look forward a little bit to think, can Medvedev, A, keep this up at London as in the ATP Finals, and B, do you think he can keep this up next year? I mean, do you think he'd be bound to have a little bit of a letdown at some point, right? Yeah, he's only human, although he's playing like a tennis terminator. I'll tell you, I was really impressed the uh, the final. I mean, he thrashed there that second set. I mean, he was he just tuned him up. He really beat him badly. And then also, you know, the Sitsipas match, because there's bad blood there that he was able to hold. That was a pretty tight match. He was able to hold it together and maintain his mastery of what may be you know, a rivalry we can watch for years and years to come with Zverev as well. So, yeah, he looks tremendous. I think, you know, he's only human. He's due for a letdown, but hardcore, especially in indoor hardcore, that plays to his strengths. And as far as, you know, the future, yeah, he's going to be a top top five consistent player, I think. I think to me the question is, you know, can he do it in best of five sets at right. slams because I think he's winning. I don't think he's ever won a five-set match, although the Rafa match, obviously, he fought his heart out, and that was a great, fantastic effort. But, you know, he hasn't yet to win a five-set match, and also Clay, you know, Clay is not, he's got a losing career record on, on Clay, so I think those are the two issues. But on hard court, the guy is just, just a tremendous force. Let me ask you this. Do you think he has set the tone for the rest of these other guys, Sitsipas, Zverev, even Felix Ojeal, you see him coming up, I mean, we've been kind of chipping away at the big three and the big four for years now, but do you think something has actually turned here in 2019? Do you think the door is now wider open for some of these other guys to follow through? And do you think next year we'll see some maybe change at the top and at the the last weekend of the majors? I, I mean, I think he has, but the proof is in the result. You need to do it in a major. Although having said that, I mean, look, this guy's won two masters titles already. Remember when Delpo beat Federer to win Indy Wells, everyone's like, wow, Delpo breaks through and win a match. I mean, it's Delpo, Grand Slam champion. That's how hard it is to win Masters, and he's done it twice in a pretty short span of time, you know, beat quality players. That's impressive, but still, you know, you got to do it in a major. He almost did it at the Open. Uh, I, so I think to me, that's still a test that remains to be seen. But just to pick up on your point, I love his attitude as far as Going against the big three, he's not intimidated. He's not scared. He welcomes a challenge. And to me, the win over Djokovic and Cincy, that was a turning point, although you could even go back to the match against Djokovic in Australia where he really solidified his status as, look, I'm for real. Like, I can stand here and play 25, 35-shot rallies and not blink. And, you know, he wasn't even looking that physically drained by the end. To me, he still looked strong by the end of that. So, yeah, I think he, he definitely is attitude-wise. It, it to me, that's what that's what held some of the other young next-gen stars back is they still don't believe it, but he clearly does. Right, and what do you make of Tsitsipas being able to take out Novak Djokovic in Shanghai? I mean, Novak was looking so good, although maybe he wasn't tested in Tokyo, but he really looked to be in great form there, and I found that to be a, quite a surprising loss, especially from being a set-up against him. I did, too, especially if you look historically, Novak's success in Asia. I mean, that's been one of the best places he's played. I mean, he's a dominant player there. So that was a really big win. And also, I thought he he can walk away with his head held high, you know, despite the loss to Meta. He played him really, really tough, given all everything that's happened between them, that he was able to go out and push him that hard after a big win was impressive. And I think he needed that because he had a real real tough stretch dating back almost to the loss to Stan in Paris, where it just seemed like emotionally it took him a while to, to get over that. So it was really good to see him bounce back in this way. And the same is true for Zverev. Look, it was a few months ago. He was hitting 20 double faults, 
you know, losing in Cincy. I mean, you look, he's still, I think, in the top five in aces this year, there, but he was able to find the serve in a big way at times this last weekend, although, you know, it wasn't the result in the final that he wanted. Mm-hmm. I wonder, if you look ahead, we look at the domination of the big three, it's 55 of 66 majors, I think it's 12 straight now. Do you think somebody other than a big three member can win a slam next year? And if, you know... Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I do. I believe Medvedev is on the verge, and then, you know, what's Zverev, it just he needs to get, get it going in a major, but he's capable, the guy's capable... For sure. Yeah, I think somebody could. And it's just hard to imagine, you know, Australia right out of the box because Novak is so great in Australia. He's been so dominant. But uh, we'll see a lot at the ATP Cup. Right. And Hannah, what do you make of the chances? Uh, another player, we talk about this Laver Cup effect. Another player who made some nice results in Asia was Dominic Team. I mean, it feels right. like every success he has on hard court, they're, they're impressive for that reason because it's on a hard court and you don't expect that from him. But I feel like he's building towards something at Roland Garros next year. I think, you know, the, the, the more success he has on any surface, the better off he's going to be when he gets to... To, to Paris next year. I mean, what do you think of team right now? I mean, it's kind of impressive the way he's been able to have some success. Yeah, on and, you know, just to pick up on what you said, let's not forget this guy won India Wells. I mean, this guy won he on a hard court. I think what you're really seeing now is a lot of the result of the hard work he's done with uh, Nicholas Massou in terms of the subtleties of the game, in terms of you'll see him throw in a serve and volley on break point down. You'll see him chip and charge on a return. You'll see him inside the box, those points where he was usually so far back from the baseline where you could always right. dump a drop shot on him. You really can't do that. He's such a good athlete, but he's so much better to me inside the box when you get some of those quick net exchange. He's got good hands. He's a good athlete. He's always moved well. So it's great to see him sort of see him expand his game and the results or there, I agree with you. He's definitely a threat, that guy, for sure. And he has the desire. You know he wants to do it. And, and I'll segue that into my last question about ATP for now, which is we look ahead in the race to London. We've got six spots decided. Zverev and Berrettini are in seven and eight right now. It could be a very interesting field there with Berrettini, with Tsitsipas, with Medvedev all making their debuts. And I wonder... How important would you say this is for the younger guys to actually make a statement at the end of the season, something to kind of take some momentum into 2020, that they can indeed take over at the top of men's tennis? Oh, yeah, I think it's it's hugely important. Also, it's funny you mentioned Berrettini. We didn't even discuss him yet, but, I mean, this guy was within a match of the U.S. Open fight. I mean, he's come on really super strong, and he likes clay as well. So, yeah, he's definitely a threat. I think it's a big it's a big push for all these guys, although, you know, you can look back on the other hand, look at Hatch catching off winning Paris uh, indoors last year, and then he didn't quite follow that up as we would have hoped right. this year. Or look at, you know, Dimitrov was there the year in London when he won London, and then we thought, boy, top three, this guy's ready to take the next step, and it just didn't happen. So it's not always, you know, you're going to take the next step on the ladder, but I think it's, it is it is really hugely important this year, especially because we know, you know, Federer 38, these guys aren't getting any younger at the top. Absolutely. All right, let's switch gears, go to the WTA. We're closing in on Shenzhen. That's um, just over a week away now. And I recently put a poll on Twitter, um, wanted to know who people thought was the player of the year on the WTA side. I left choices for all four Grand Slam champions, Bianca Andreescu, Naomi Osaka, Simona Halep, and Ash Barty. And Andreescu hands down won this poll, getting 53% of the votes to just 21% for Osaka and 22 for Barty. I wonder what your feeling is. Who's the player of the year right now? And all, and part B of that question is, can the player of the year 
is it, is it really going to be dependent upon what happens in Shenzhen after all? Well, I think if one of those three were to win Shenzhen, then you'd say, yeah, that, that person would be the player. I mean, I agree with the poll. I mean, right now, I have to go with Bianca right now, today. But, you know, if Naomi went in and won the year end, I think you got to go with Naomi as well, although she had a real barren stretch there, especially the Wimbledon loss was, was kind of bad. But also now reuniting with her dad, sort of taking ownership of everything. You see the real Naomi come out that we saw at the beginning of the year. So I wouldn't be surprised if she went in there and tore it up. But, you know, we people overlook Barty a lot, and I think start to finish, you could make a case maybe she's been the most consistent only because she didn't have the injury, you know, stretch that Bianca had. But what Bianca did with the injuries and to come back and just pick it up, and I mean, you know how hard it is when you have a layoff to come back and just hit that winning stride again. And she was marked after, you know, the India, winning Indian Wells and then the match in Miami with Kerber where it was a little clashy back and forth and people yeah. really want to beat her and that she's been able to stand up and take on all comers it's really impressive to me it really is I mean, one of the most fantastic stories i can remember in maybe the last 10 years how about serena williams though she's in danger of losing her spot at shenzhen and, and she chose not to do anything about it not to play to get some extra points to ensure that she'd be at shenzhen which a lot of people would i would assume think would be a very important tournament for her chance to get some wins against top players, play the elite, prove herself all over again. I wonder why do you think she's shying away from, from this? Well, I think it's all about the majors and I'm dating myself here, but I'm old enough to have covered the chase championships when that, that was the year end at Madison square garden. And she skipped that all the time too. At that mm-hmm. time it was because she was going to college taking uh, courses, but I don't think she's ever really been hugely into playing the year end or the, end of the year swing, especially now that she has a child. I just don't yeah. think it really, in the overall scheme of things, I mean, I don't say that to devalue or demean the turn. It's a hugely important tournament, the biggest one on the WTA calendar. But I think for her, you know, it's all about the majors and nothing else matters, yeah. really. Do you think in a way that it works for Serena to not show herself so often, in other words, to not give these other top players the experience and a certain comfort level against her, to see what her ball feels like, to face her aura, to go up against her and maybe develop a little bit of comfort? Do you think she likes remaining mysterious? Is that part of the plan for Serena? Absolutely, 100% agree with you, especially against the younger players. And I would point to the Andrescu match at the Rogers Cup as an example. I'm not saying that's the reason she pulled the plug on that match, but you don't want to show her everything you've got, especially someone like Andrescu, who's a sponge who really absorbs what the opponent does well and what they're where they're vulnerable. So I think, yeah, I think that's a real conscious effort on her part. Why show them anything? Now, you know, it's like when Ali was – Heavyweight champion, he used to fight all these guys as sparring partners. Then you really have to fight them, and they kind of know a little bit what your what your fallback plans right, are. Right. So I, I think I think that's absolutely true. All right, and then now let's look at Generation Next WTA Coco Golf in the news again, winning a title at Linz. Her um, gosh, ninth youngest player to ever win a WTA title. Just an amazing performance from her as a lucky loser. Yes, it wasn't the absolute toughest draw, but it just shows the steel of this young woman and her skills were on display, the quickness, the tennis IQ, the intensity. I mean, things are looking good. I mean, let's talk about the pros and cons of what she's done this year. Of course, there's been a lot of talk about age eligibility. Maybe this is she's come too far too fast. But again, she's proving on the court that she's ready to play at the professional level. And what is your takeaway from her season and, of course, from her win at Linz? 
I'm tremendously impressed. I was there in Miami when she got her first WTA win, and that was only in March. So if you just dial back to March to where we are now, I'm really, really impressed with her. And like you said, it's the poise. It's not just that she can go out and compete. She showed you she could do that at Wimbledon, of course, beating Venus at Wimbledon and, you know, playing through qualifying, giving Halep a better match than Serena gave Halep in the final. So she showed you all that already. But, you know, to go in there and beat, especially to beat Burton's a top 10 player, someone who's been top five this year, and Petkovic is a former world number nine, Ostapenko's a former Grand Slam. I mean, she beat experienced opponents who have gone deep at big tournaments and who definitely do not want to lose to a 15-year-old kid. There's no way they want to lose that match. It's for her to step up every single time. And also the third set against Ostapenko. That could have gone either way because she was looking a little bit down and Ostapenko had the momentum she looked like she was ready to roll, and, and Coco just took it to her in the third. So I'm really impressed. I'm also impressed that she continues the doubles partnership with Mendana because I think that's really super beneficial to both of them. Yeah, that's real nice. It, um, you, you mentioned uh, the, you know, the skills that she's working on and just uh, winning at the WTA level and getting a lot of reps with her serve, with her volley. Very important. Yeah, she's a fun player. Well, now, talk about she's a the... fun player. And also, I think if you just look at her game, like people are always like, oh, it could be another Udan, stuff like that. Look at her game. Her serve is already one of the top, I would say, 15 to 20 in terms of the pace she can generate at 15 years old on the serve. Yeah. And her speed, to me, she's one of the top five, three, four, five fastest players already at 15 years old. I mean, her speed. So when you have the serve, and the whole name of the game is holding serve, then when you have the speed where she can dig the ball out of the corners, you know, she has the slice on the backhand if you try to low ball or the forehand's are still a work in progress. But she has a lot of components, you know, to really be a big winner. Yeah, I feel like she has, I mean, there, obviously there's so much untapped potential. When I watch her, the quickness that you mentioned stands out. She is just all over the court and just blankets. And her consistency is remarkable. What I guess what you would have expected if you heard about this young phenom maybe two years ago serving at 117 as a 13-year-old, etc., is that she'd be a power player. And yet she strikes me more as a finesse player now. And I think as time goes on, she'll develop a more of a power game and be even more assertive. I think the future is so bright for her. But let's talk about the cons and the things that people worry about with her do you see any issues with the way her progression has been handled the fact that she's 15 i mean she is you know under the the wta age eligibility rules so she's limited to how much she can play it, to me it seems like things are going okay she's got a very steady coaching team with her mom and dad she's working with patrick moradiglu a bit but it doesn't seem like it's too much too fast for her and i know that it can be and there have been instances of course in the past but I feel like she's in a pretty good space and she has the talent to compete, so why not you know, put her up there? And the, for, as far as the people talking about hyping Coco Goff too much, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard not to hype the woman who wins the t WTA title at the age of 15. Yeah, that just comes with the territory. It is hard. I, I think they've handled it really, really well. And if you watch the matches, like when her father comes out, I think he gives her really good common sense advice, and he always seems positive, at least the ones I've seen. I've never seen either one of them get down. And I think, you know, when you watch her play, especially if you watch her in person, what you really see is that she has an enthusiasm, a passion, and you can't fake that. I mean, either you have that or you don't. And to contrast that, you know, she was the youngest woman in 15 years to win a title. The last one was Vida Sova. And to me, Vida Sova, was, she could have been a top five player for years and years, but she just, she had a lot of injury problems, but she just didn't have that same love that I see Coco has. She really loves to compete 
compete. She loves to get after the ball. And uh, I think that's going to take her a long way. So I think they've handled it well so far. You definitely, you get concerned just back-to-back, like you saw going from Linz to Luxembourg. You know, her, her tank was a little bit empty, and even emotionally she's trying to get up. She's looking a little bit on the verge of tears there. She's looking a little down. So you do worry about that. She's a kid. She's 15 years old. Let her be a kid as well. But for me so far, you can't argue with how they've handled it. And she's handled herself so well, you know, a lot of grace and a lot of class. Not only the stuff you see on the court, but just the, you know, when you see her signing autographs, when you see her interacting with fans, when you see the pressers, she just handles herself really with a lot of class. Yeah, she's, uh, there's something about her, right? She just kind of glows. She's got a great personality. She's got a great game. She's handled great everything. Smile, like... Great smile, and people respond when they see it, like at the open. When I want, when you see her in person, she's a really electric player. People really get into it because she's an athletic player. And like you said at the beginning, her her first step she's really quick off the mark and that's a big thing in tennis yeah she's just a very natural athlete i feel like she'd be great at any sport she tried to play right yeah um but you know the good news is for coco now i think her season's pretty much over she can rest up i think she's at 71 in the world from like 685 at the beginning of this year and uh, main draw australia is is in the book so she can just kind of look forward to playing in one last major as a 15 year old i mean yeah it really is phenomenal yeah, and her birthday is in March, so it's not like she's going to be 16 like next month or a couple months. I mean, it's a, it's next spring. It's a while. Yeah, and to, to go back to your comments on her parents, I sat next to them at, at Wimbledon two years ago in the juniors, and it was one of the early round matchups, and they were just, um, you know, you just noticed things. They were just really calm and really easy. You barely even heard them talking during the match. They were just kind of together chatting amongst themselves about the match and not really like... They just weren't over the top and too aggro about it. It was a really relaxed vibe. And I didn't even speak with them on that day, but I got a nice vibe like that. These are two really sound people and good parents. And, and that's important. That's important for for a young player going through what they're going through right now. It, a lot depends and the parents really do matter. Yeah. And also just uh, you were there at Wimbledon. I wasn't. But when she had that run there, she was never like too crazy high. I mean, she was happy. She was beaming about it, but it was never like, Oh my God, this is crazy! Out of you know, it's like someone who she expects this of herself. You know, she has high high expectations, but not crazy self-imposed pressure either. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a cool story, and I just I feel for the people who are negative on it. Who are I don't know. There's always some haters out there in social media that maybe don't like her as a player, or maybe resent the the amount of. Um, the amount of attention she's getting from the media. And I do get that it's a little strong, especially when she's in the U.S., but, I mean, no need to hate, right? Well, let's change the subject. One last thing. Sir Andrew Murray playing pretty well in Antwerp right now. He's up a set on Pablo Cuevas. What do you make of Andy's return? I mean, this is setting up to be a real great story in 2020, don't you think? Absolutely. He's serving it all in line now because he knows the third kid is on the way. You know, he's <laughs> got to take our matches quicker now. But, yeah, it's great to see. And also the match with Fonini. You know, it's, and that was like the two classic cranky guys going head to, and it was fun to see just the way he handled that too, that he still has that, you know, he still got that stunk, you know, yeah. that we all love, that we all love to see from him. So yeah, it's really exciting. And, you know, just remember where we were in January, that tearful Australian open press conference where it looked like it could be curtains as, at least for his singles career. And now he's moving around. Great. I mean, I've been really, uh, just blown away how well he's moved. 
Yeah, match after match, I feel like he looks a little more comfortable, and maybe as you watch it, you start to like relax a little bit that he's gonna be fine. And it's just, uh, you know, you want him to shorten the points and kind of do a little bit more what Federer did when he started to serve and volley a little more and attack the net and just kind of make things easier for himself. But he's looking real good, and I think he's in, the main thing is he's enjoying the competition. And another thing that's gonna be great is we're gonna get Del Potro hopefully back next year too. So there'll be some a nice comeback theme on the ATP side in 2020. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, to have Delpo back, and I think also on Murray is that you know people forget when they when he led them to the Davis Cup, he won every with uh, Jamie the two of them the doubles. He's great at the net. I mean, he's got great feel, great touch, really good overhead, and so it's nice to see him incorporate that. Whether that's because he's playing more you know indoors now, hardcore, or whether it's because just he wants to shorten the points, like you said, whatever the motivation. It's nice to see him sort of unveil the whole game because he's always had that. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, gosh, what a, what a season it's been in tennis with, you know, the rise of Andrescu, the continued dominance in Nadal. I mean, everywhere you look, there's a great storyline. It just never ends. It's just been, it's just like an embarrassment of riches doing tennis over the last decade or so. And it, and it's just like you look ahead to next year, and it, it could be even better, or more exciting, more interesting. I mean, we're just we're just blessed. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Oh, my God. And some of the finals, you know, the Federer, Djokovic, the Wimbledon final, the U.S. Open final, and then, uh, then you know, Osaka and Drescu. I mean, some of the matches have just been outrageously high quality. With The whole world seems like they're watching, too, and that's a great buzz for tennis. Yeah, it's super cool. Richard, let's, um, let's cut it short today and uh, maybe make some plans to come back next week and take a closer look at what's going to happen in Shenzhen. It's going to be a really exciting week over there. So hopefully we can chat again next Thursday or Friday. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. This has been the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, saying thank you all for listening. Appreciate it very much, and we will see you again next week.